This is so exciting. I mean, today, I don't know if you feel the energy in here like I do. It's just super exciting. And, and we're going to cover one of my favorite pieces of Scripture in the whole Bible. I'm so glad. Edmund, great to see you this morning. Uh, it's just so exciting, and it really boils down to what the inscription was in Gloria MacAlexander's Bible, and that is that, that the goal really today is just to say to trust in the Lord with all of your heart, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. He will make your path straight. Open your Bibles, please, this morning to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to do 12 and 13 this morning. Oh, these are, these are great scriptures. I'm kind of glad to be out of the stuff we've been preaching. It's been kind of out there, some of the stuff I've taught on. You know, some people think that Genesis 1 through 11 is all fiction. I don't think it's fiction. I think it's true. I think every word of it's true. I think it's an accurate uh, description of what God wanted to give us about the beginning of the world and about the flood. But we're now getting into those areas of Scripture that are easier for me. Maybe that's why I like it. And this is what's called normative preaching. Normative just means things that we ought to do. You know, y'all know that word normative, something we learn in law school. And so we're going to see, we're going to observe the life of Abraham. We're now going to get to him. We saw Terah, his father, moved down to Haran last week, or Haran, or however you say it. So if you have your Bible open to Genesis chapter 12, read along or listen along as I read. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse, the, I'll curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you, Lord, and we study this word, Lord, I just pray that you would put into each of our hearts exactly what we are to learn from Abraham and Lot's life and, and Abraham's decision, Lord, to obey you and follow you. Lord, I pray that your word would change us and renew us and renew our minds, Lord, and Change the way we think, Lord, that we might think the way we're supposed to think, that, Lord, we would understand our identity, our identity in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today we're going to talk about faith and what it really means to have faith. And in the young adults class uh, last week, someone said, faith is when we believe that God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he'll do. I think that's a pretty good description of faith, don't you? Incidentally, we had 12 young adults out at the ranch last night. We had a great time. God is blessing that time together. If you're a young adult in here, say amen. Some of y'all are claiming to be young adults, and you're really not that young. So we're going to also pick up today and talk about how Abraham lied. That was a joke, Scott. Uh, how he lied, and he tried to help God out when God would give him instructions. Abraham thought, I have a better way than God's way. So when we look at the actions of Abraham and his nephew Lot, we learn all kinds of things, and trusting God really is at the heart of our faith. I mean, if you don't trust God, then you really have no faith, because each of us that came to know Jesus trusted that he was sufficient for the deficit that we had in our own lives, amen? And that he was what we needed. His blood was applied for each and every one of us. 
And as I said a moment ago, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is what we inscribe in every Bible that we give away here. And we don't want anyone to not have a study Bible. So it doesn't mean that you have to be a, you know, a, a voting member to get a study Bible. Uh, th- this morning, one was given to a young lady in our young adults class that just doesn't have the wherewithal to get a Bible and wanted one. And it says, trust in the Lord with all of thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding and all of thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. That is really kind of the motto, I think, that I feel for Union Grove Baptist Church. I mean, that's why it ended up being in every Bible that we've ever gifted is because it really, if you don't pick up anything else, that is the big, big, big idea. All right, I always have a big idea every day. And the big idea today will be walking by faith and not by sight. When you and I came to a saving knowledge of Jesus, whether you knew it or not, you were engaged in a spiritual battle. That moment that you accepted, you have three things fighting against you. You have the world that has its opinions. You have the flesh, which is yourself, your soul that has not yet had a renewal of its mind. Others call that the sanctification process. And you have, so it's the world, the flesh, and Satan himself. I don't know that Satan spends that much time on me or you, but he has minions that do a, a job out there doing that. And, uh, but you're in this, this test of faith, and we all have these tests of faith, and that's the first thing that we're going to see that Abraham encounters. After God makes these incredible promises to him, his faith gets tested, and like us, he fails. Sometimes we succeed, but he fails, and his grace and his mercy are without end. And so we're going to see Abraham first, we're going to, and I'm going to call him Abraham instead of switching between Abram and Abraham. He ends up being called Abraham by God, but in the beginning, he's just Abram. So we saw that the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. He doesn't even know the land that's going to be shown to him. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We're going to see that you can argue that there's three promises that are made there. I actually count six because I'm, I guess, a lawyer, and I just pick it apart down to little bitty things. And it's fun for me to look at at that that way. But what you're looking at here in these first three verses is the first five promises that are made in what we call the Abrahamic covenant. So I want to talk about a covenant for a a minute. And one of our young adults today, we talked about covenants, didn't we? Where's little Lacey? There you are. And Lacey made a great comment there in the adults group. She said, I guess a covenant is like a commitment. And it is a commitment. It's a commitment that one party makes to another. And in ancient times, one party would make a commitment and another party would make one back. And it comes from the Latin word, this English word we use, convenio. Convenio means to come with, okay? And what that really means is to uh, come together and to make this commitment to one another. Now, there are at least five covenants that are in the Bible. Okay, Some people think there's an old covenant and there's a new covenant. That's not true. There are quite a few older covenants. First would be the Edenic covenant, which I don't have up here, which is a covenant of Eden. There's the Noahic covenant that we talked about last week. And remember what the Noahic covenant was? Y'all remember? That God would never do what to the world again? 
He would never destroy it by water, right? And he gave us a sign of that covenant, and that sign was a rainbow, all right? And then we have the Abrahamic covenant that we're studying today, where this is a promise that's made. We're going to see, is it a promise made by Abraham and God? And we're going to talk about that. That would be what's called a bilateral covenant. And that's the way, as you all know, I'm legally trained. A contract is. It's a binding agreement between two parties when there is consideration. That's what we say. Consideration means each side promises to do something. They might even exchange promises. But they promise to do something, and without that, there is no contract. There's a gift, okay? So it's kind of interesting. Covenant's a little different than that. A covenant can be bilateral, like, like a contract, but it can also be unilateral. I mean, one person does all the commitment, and the other party doesn't commit. Isn't that interesting? So in the Abrahamic covenant, God makes certain commitments to Abraham and his descendants, but Abraham doesn't promise to do anything, nothing at all. He starts out by obeying and moving and going, and then God directs him. Then we have the Mosaic Covenant, which you're familiar with, which Moses received up on Sinai, which was a whole list of things to do. Some improperly teach that the Mosaic Covenant is where people were saved by keeping laws. They were never saved by keeping laws. That is incorrect teaching. The laws dealt with sin and how they dealt with sin. But from the very beginning, God's way of becoming close with him has been belief. It has been faith. It is walking by faith and not by sight. Then we have the Davidic covenant, which is the promise that an heir of the house of David will rule forever and ever and ever and ever. Some of you all have read the book that we have in our library, When a Jew, when a Jew Rules the, the World. And uh, Rosenberg, the author, talks about that, that the house of David, which is Jesus, that during the millennial reign, he'll be on earth in Jerusalem. I don't know if that's exactly how that'll work, but it's a great and interesting book. And then last, the new covenant, which we celebrate today in communion, where the new covenant, like the Abrahamic covenant, is a one-sided covenant where God did it all. And we know that from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, don't we? That for by grace are ye saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, the way a covenant works, and we'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks, in ancient times, two parties would usually agree. Then, strangely, they would kill an animal, and they would separate it in parts. Have any of y'all ever heard this? And they would walk through that separated animal, this is very bizarre, with basically the intimation or the idea that if either of us breaks what we've promised to do, so will be done to us as was done to this animal. That's why they walk through these parted animals. And you'll, we'll get to that later when we see God actually solemnify, meaning make solemn the covenant that he has made to Abraham. The Bible has these unilateral covenants, like I said, the rainbow, uh, and, but the Abraham, Abrahamic covenant is a first look at a grace covenant. It's where Abraham has promised all of these things, and we're going to start off with five promises that are made, and here they are. If you read this, now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, remember they were in Haran, go from your father's house to a land that I will show you. 
And then he says this, he says, I will make you a great nation. There are today millions and millions of Jews in the world. During the Nazi Holocaust, Hitler tried to eliminate the Jews from the earth. He couldn't do it. You know why? Because God had a different agenda. And so the Jewish people are still a great nation, meaning a people group, and they are all direct descendants of Abraham. <clears throat> and it manifests the fulfillment of this first promise. Secondly, he says, I will bless you and make your name great. This has come to pass too, because Abraham's name is great in all the earth. It's known by the Muslims who, who uh, claim to be descended from him, and many are. Uh, but Abraham, everybody knows about Abraham. Father Abraham. Somebody's phone is binging. If you would please turn your phones off, I would appreciate it. Thirdly, you shall be a blessing. Abraham and his descendants have been a tremendous blessing in the earth. I casually looked up today and looked at some of the people that have invented cures and things in modern medicine. Many of us in here who are probably 65 and older remember the day that the polio vaccine came out. Y'all remember? Raise your hand if you remember. I remember because during summers we used to fear getting polio. We thought it would come. Somehow we would catch it from the sewer water. Mama, if it rained, said, don't go out by the street. And a guy named Jonas Salk, who was a Jewish man, invented or, or found, discovered the polio vaccine. And we lined up, at least in my neighborhood, as far as from here to 362. And we all took a little sugar cube. Diana's shaking her head with a little drop in it. And none of us ever had to fear polio again. And the miraculous thing is that Jonas Salk was a descendant of Abraham. And Jonas Salk gave that discovery as a gift to the world. Isn't that amazing? Nobody ever paid him a royalty. He never got a dime from it. So in that alone, this promise took place where we were all blessed in that way. Penicillin, how it was produced in mass was invented by a Jew. Chemotherapy for children was first adapted by a Jewish person. It goes on and on and on. Hepatitis C and how it was treated was discovered and enacted by a Jewish person. 26% of all Nobel Peace Prizes doing with medicine come out of this tiny people group that are descendants of Abraham. I'm just saying all this, not maybe to elevate the Jews, but to say God's word is true. Look what happened. Isn't that something? That's a wow thing. And then fourthly, he says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. This has come to fruition in spades in the world. Any people group that have ever gotten in their mind the crazy idea of destroying the Jewish people have been taken into the dustbin of history. One of you all in here, one guy in our men's group wears a t-shirt occasionally. It shows all these civilizations that have existed with a line through them. And it gets down to the end, and it has Israel, and Israel's still there. The Romans are gone. The Holy Roman Empire's gone. The Nazis are gone. Uh, the Spaniards, when they uh, began to pursue the Jews and to have their great uh, inquisition, by 1588, they were destroyed on the rocks uh, outside of England when the Spanish Armada was, was completely ripped apart. God takes care of his promises. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And I think this is one reason the United States has been blessed to the extent that it has, because it has purposefully 
done all that it could do to support the Jewish people. And when that changes, it's going to be a different tune. That's all I can tell you. You're going to see the United States in curious and odd ways decline, decline, decline. Then he says, and fifthly, in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And we learned this morning studying Ephesians chapter 2, young adults. We said we might be descended, remember we said from Aztecs and crazy Irish people that did all this horrible stuff, that were once alienated from God. But we are now part of that, and now Jesus is our Messiah as well as he was to the Jewish people. We talked about this in our identity. And Jesus was Messiah. He was born of the seed of Abraham, and it includes everyone in here today who has put their faith and trust in Jesus. We are the ones mentioned in this. Let's continue to read verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son. This nephew and all of his family and all of his stuff, okay? Because it says, in all of their possessions that they had gathered. And the people whom they had acquired in Haran, that's all their servants, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. That's why we sang today on Canaan's land. So they came to the land of Canaan, and Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were then in the land. And remember, we learned a couple of weeks ago that the Canaanites were descended from Ham, who was one of the sons of Noah. God told him to get up and leave. And years ago, Sandy and I decided to move to the country of Chile to establish a business there. Some of y'all have heard about that. We felt like the Lord wanted us to do this. It was a, a branch of our business that we owned in Houston. And we made great preparations, didn't we? Sandy even made a record. She said, I'm going to make this record. So if we'd ever come back, there'll be this record out there. And she made a beautiful record, a CD. And I went on down to Chile, and I visited the place, and I found a home, and I rented it, and I went and located a place to rent for the business, meaning I did all of these things and situated all of these things before we ever left the United States. And yet here, God is saying to Abraham, get up and go. And it says that he got, got up and went. And it's a lesson to us that when God says, get up and go, we need to get up and go, right? He got up and went. It's such a contrast to our situation. He got up and he left, and that is why Abraham is mentioned in the Hall of Faith. Let's look exactly, because it, it accentuates the fact that he didn't even know instructions or where he was going. Description of what Abraham did. I'm sorry, there's a dark background there, but by faith, can y'all all read that okay? By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So the promise gets passed down. And the writer of Hebrews is telling, not only was the promise to Abram, Abraham, but it extended on down to Isaac and Jacob. For he waited for a city which has foundations. I want you to remember that word foundation because we're going to get back to it. Whose builder and maker is God. Amen? 
I am waiting for a city which has foundations, whose maker and builder is God. Amen? And that is the Canaan's land that I'm going to end up going to. And that is a promise. Abraham stepped out in faith as we're to step out in faith. We are to do the things that God tells us to do. God put in your heart, Gloria, I trust. You said, I want to be in harness with what's going on at Union Grove. God spoke that to you. You notice I never urge people to become members or beg people or sing the ninth verse of Just As I Am, asking people to make this their church home. We want people to be voting members here who God has put in their heart to be in harness with what's going on, to see where God is working and to become part of that. But we can be assured that if God takes us to it, he will take us through it. Amen? This is an Irish engraving. It's in my office, and it says, the will of God will never take you where the grace of God will not protect you. That's translated from the Irish language. I love that. Wherever God takes you, he's going to give you the provisions that you need. I'm going to turn this over. Last week, we had a water bottle up here, and it looked like an ad for that water company because this stuff all gets filmed, you know. It's not sponsored by any water people. But anyway, God takes us to these things, and it, whether it's an illness, whether it's being aloneness when you've lost a spouse, which some of in here have done, look, you've come to this. God knew that that was going to happen before the beginning of time. He knew about the things that happened to me this last year, and he made provision. He always makes provision. Let's read on. Then the Lord, verse 7, appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, <clears throat> I will give this land. That's kind of a biggie there. There it is. So the Lord, the sixth pro, uh, promise, the sixth commitment, Lacey, is a promise to give Abraham's descendants a piece of land that he's going to have Abraham go out and walk on. He didn't, he didn't really give him a, a survey or anything. He said, just go walk as far as you can around this whole place. And Abraham, this is all going to be your descendants. And you know what it is. And in the fullness of time, God has brought his descendants back to the land of Israel. And some of us were in this room were alive when that happened. When people said, it'll never happen. In 1948, it happened. We've seen miracles happen before our eyes. We have a spiritual inheritance. Ephesians 1 tells us the sons, the descendants of Abraham have a physical inheritance, and that is that land. And let's look at his response. And there he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west <clears throat> and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. It means he prayed to him. So Abram journeyed, going on still towards the south. He just kept on moving. He said, I'm going to move to where God wants me to be. And we've had to do that. We've had to do that as a church. We have to do that as individuals. When we first got together back eight years ago, uh, there was kind of a verse, if some of y'all that were here remember, that we all focused on, and it was the verse in Revelation that says, let's strengthen what remains. Do you, do you remember that, Diane? That was a verse that we would put in our bulletin saying, let's just strengthen what remains here. And we just move forward, trusting that God would do things, that he would move things. And look, we're in a full room now. God is working his purpose out. Amen? 
And he's brought everything that this little congregation is needed, has needed as we've needed it. I think it's so interesting. He, it doesn't ever seem like God shows up early, does it? But he always shows up on time because you think, boy, it would be nice if I had help in teaching. What'd God do? God sent me a room full of pastors who teach. I would have just been happy with one. But God says, no, I want to give you one. I want to give you another one. I'll give you another one. I'll give you another one. And I'm going to throw in a theologian while I'm at it and a seminary teacher. God is so good to me. He's so good to us. Amen. There's great speculation as to where this point was between I and Bethel. And I made the mistake of asking my resident theologian, my wife, what she thought about that. And I got all these articles and I started to read a few and I thought, well, I think I'm just going to move on to the next verse. One of the theories is, and maybe it's an outlandish, far out theory, is that the place between Bethel and I is Mount Moriah, the same mountain where Abraham will end up being called to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, which happens to be the place where the temple was built, which happens to be the point on planet Earth where the holy, holies of holies is. I don't know if that's true or not, but I like that one, so I'm going to stick to that. Anyway, Abraham's moving forward and believing in the promises of things that are to come. Often, when we have an encounter with the Lord, Tim, <clears throat> we have a great trial right after that. We have a trial, and I just mentioned Tim because Tim went through a trial for about three months, and he would say, these things are plaguing me. I'm bothered by this. Something's bothering me. I don't know, uh, and I don't want to get into his personal business, but he was going through some personal stuff. And then when he finally said, you know what, I think the Lord's spoken to me, right after that, a trial happened that involved his brother dying. So you have this trial again that's testing your faith once God has gotten you through this point and gotten you down to the promised land, you go, God, what in the world are you doing? And now that's what we're going to see with Abram in Egypt. And it often comes right after the encounter. I know that the greatest challenges that have come to me spiritually have come after I was pastor at Union Grove. I mean, really. And you think, well, why did that happen? I guess when I was out there really not being accomplishing much, the the devil just left me alone, or the enemy. I don't, I don't know. But I know that trials come, and we see Abraham's faith being tested. Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. Uh-oh, God had just given him this promised land, and suddenly there's a famine, right? You, you catch that? This is in here for a purpose. So God had made the promise of this land, and now Abram looks around, and everything that he sees tells him that the place is unsuitable. And so the text tells us, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Wait a minute, what's missing here? He never said, God, you just gave me this. Am I supposed to go to Egypt to eat? Or are you going to make provision for me right where I am? Are you all picking up what I'm throwing down? All right. Abraham didn't call on the Lord. He stopped calling on the Lord. He said, pack up the stuff, Sarah. We're going to Egypt. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. That's a nice thing to say to your wife, isn't it? And he makes a scheme out of what? Out of faith? No, out of fear. Here he is conversing in the tent. My slides are not progressing, so you're going to have to progress for me. There's a picture of Abraham and Sarah, there they are. 
talking in the tent. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, it came to pass as he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, indeed, I know you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. I don't know if he was really thinking about her that much. He said, hey, they're going to let you live and they're going to kill me because they want you. You know what's going on here? Fear has overcome Abraham. The worst decisions of my life in business have been made in fear. Can I hear an amen in this? Fear is the worst motivator to motivate us to do things. I mean, really, it is. Someone told me that they had learned at a meeting that fear meant false evidence appearing real. When you are filled with these fears, it's false evidence appearing real. Because if you believe that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he'll do, what is there to be afraid of? Nothing. Have faith. He says, please tell them, say you're my sister. And Abraham was her half-brother, all right? So I love this because here he is telling a half-truth. And what is a half-truth, really? I told some of you all this. this it's a whole lie. A half-truth is a whole lie. He says, tell them this so that it may, be, it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. Sounds to me like he's selling her down the river. He's not concerned with what's going to happen to Sarah. Old Abraham's trying to save his own skin. 14, and it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. Boy, she must have been a knockout because look what they do. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to the king, to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. Wow, we forget that they came into the land. They said, you got to see this babe that just walked in here. Get her to the king's house now, okay? And Pharaoh called Abraham. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, when they saw her, and, and 16, he treated Abram well for her sake. So the king's helping Abram out because of his sister. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Basically, I say here, Abraham's just cashing in on his lie. He's benefiting from the lie about Sarai. 17, but the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. He kicks him out of Egypt. He says, get out of here. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away. They, I guess they took him to the border and kicked him over the border. And his wife and all that he had. So there he was. He was scared. He had lied. He has put his wife in danger. There is so much in there for us to learn. God takes us to things, and what does this thing say? That he'll take you through it. We don't have to try to help out God. We get into great trouble when we try to go by our eyes, by our sight, instead of by our faith. Abraham looked around and he saw things as the world sees them. And he thought, this is too big for God to handle. They're going to kill me and take you because you're beautiful. Satan and our own flesh overwhelm us with fear and condemnation, don't they, often? And I said, the bad thing about making a decision on fear is that you're going to make all your other decisions on fear as well. You become like a scared rabbit. You're off running and doing and 
making this poor decision and that poor decision. When we act out of fear, as I said, it's false evidence appearing real. It's exactly what Paul is talking about when he says we are to walk by faith and not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Interestingly, last Wednesday, Pastor Marty spoke on the feeding of the 5,000. It's the same lesson, Marty, because sight said there ain't no food here, and we got 5,000 people we got to feed. Marty said it was 20,000, but maybe the men were just 5,000. On next Wednesday, Pastor Larry's going to speak, I think, about Peter sinking in the water, are you not? Again, when Peter takes his eyes, not meaning to steal your thunder, off of Jesus and starts looking at his own experience that he has with water, he sinks like a lead weight. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. I should say that to myself every day. Faber, walk by faith and not by sight. And when Sandy and I pray each day together, we say, Lord, lead us and guide us. We're trying and we are walking by faith and not by sight. Because a lot of times things don't look right, but we know when God has us doing something that he'll make a way. Chapter 13. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all. I got to hurry through this. And Lot with him to the south. Abraham was now rich in livestock, silver, gold. He went down to Bethel, went back there where his tent had been, back to Bethel and I, and to the place of the altar that he had first made there. So he's going back where he had first met the Lord when he found him. We need to do that too. He came back to where he had had this experience with the Lord. And Lot also who went with Abraham had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together because of all the stuff that they had. Seven, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and herdsmen of Lot's. And the Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. Verse eight, so Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, between my herdsmen and yours, we're brethren. It's not the whole land before you, please separate from me. If you take the left, I will go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Do you all see a different Abram here than we just saw in Egypt? Abram now is depending on God to do Abram right. And he's saying, Lot, you pick what you want and I'll take the other. It's a great showing that now he's learned something down in Egypt. In Egypt, all he knew how to do was lie and scheme and cheat and try to Lie to the Pharaoh, and here he's saying, basically, God, you just do with me what you will. He parted company graciously. It's an attitude that we should have, and, and I've had to deal with some of this in my own business life, where I've had to say to a party that I've been in conflict with, I say, Lord, you're going to have to protect me in all this, because I can't do it here, and you just say to that party, look, then you just pick what you want, and I'll go with the other. We either believe that God is sovereign in our lives, or we don't. I mean, that's the bottom line. Now he was trusting that God would take care of him, and he was no longer trying to work things out on his own. Now listen to Lot. This gets real interesting. So Lot lifted his eyes up. What, what is he lifting up? His eyes. He's seeing by eyesight and not by faith. Abraham's working out of faith. Lot is working by sight. In and he saw the plain of Jordan, and he made his decision to take that regardless of what spiritual implications might have been there. You go, well, what kind of implications were there? 
And I thought about that. Do we ever make decisions in our own life based on just what we see that maybe we can get rich because we go get involved in this or get involved in that? And we don't take into consideration the spiritual good that God wants to give us. We get off in the weeds is what I call it. All right? That it was well watered. So Lot's looking and, and there was water everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah like the garden of the Lord. So it was like the garden of Eden. Like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar, and Lot chose for himself the plain of Jordan. All right, of course he did. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated from the other. Listen to this. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. God promised him Canaan. And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and he pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Lot's moving in to the most evil place on the face of the earth. He wasn't in there yet, was he? Sandy told me, you know what he did wrong first is he moved his tent right there in front of the city. We get in trouble when we flirt with evil and we think, I'm just going to get close to the city. I'm going to benefit from being close to the city. I'm going to use all of this green grass and enjoy all of this water, but I'm not going to go into the city. He tolerated the sin that was there. He pitched his tent in front of the city. And the next thing we know Lot's living in the city. Remember when we get to this weird story where the angels come and want to do all the, uh, where angels come and the men of the city want to be perverse with them and we're going to get to that? And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, he's showing in the survey, eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants for two weeks? What's the text say? Forever. When God says forever, folks, God means forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. That means unable to be counted. So that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk into the land, walk through its length, and walk through its width for I will give it to you. God is showing Abram his will for Abram's life. And at this point, they have no children. They have no idea how this is going to happen. They're living in a tent, and they do not own one square foot of what God has promised them. Verse 18 says, Then Abram moved his tent, and he went, and he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord, and, and built an altar there to the Lord. It's easy to forget that God is our possession. We get so distracted with all the stuff, don't we? It's God that's our possession. Paul tells us, walk by faith and don't walk by sight. The story shows us that we cannot stay in God's will when we're walking by sight. We just get out of, the, we get off the track of where God wants to take us. Abram saw Canaanites everywhere. He saw their settlements everywhere. And what he saw with his eyes was in conflict with what God had told him to do. Everything in his senses told him that God's promise could never come to pass. Guys, with God, nothing is impossible. Maybe I should name this, with God, nothing is impossible. You might have a lost family member. You think that, that they can never come to the Lord. Guys, with God, nothing is impossible. Your financial situation may be so horrible that you wonder, how in the world can I ever get out of this? 
with God, nothing is impossible. You may be in legal problems, and you may think that there's no way I can ever get untangled from these problems that seem to have strangled me. And I want to remind you that with God, nothing is impossible. You go on and on and on, all right? I love these two verses here. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That word substance is hypostasis. You go, well, so what, Pastor? Hypostasis. I'm going to tell you why it's so important. Everybody know what a hypodermic needle is? It's under your skin, right? Stasis is standing. My question today is, what are you standing on? What is under you? What is under you? What is your hypostasis? All right? And look, it's of things not seen. What you're standing on is not stuff you can see with your eyes, but it is the almighty power of God promising you to work in and through your life. That is what you're standing on. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. They obtained a testimony because Abraham believed and God counted it all. He, he reckoned it to him as righteousness. That was God's test then, and it's as God's test today, even with the new covenant. The old law didn't save anybody. It was faith that saved them. Abram was saved by faith. They dealt with sin in a different way. And then Paul tells the Corinthian church, he says, for if we walk by faith, we should walk by faith and not by sight. That word hypostasis means assurance. It's the substance. It is our reality. So today... I want to close by just saying our reality is not something we can see with our eyes. Amen. But boy, we know it in our heart, don't we? And that is the testimony of the Holy Spirit within you. Let's pray. Scott. Lord, thank you that you've shown us these truths from your word, Lord, that we can walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, help us in our unbelief. Help us to trust you that you are bringing to pass the things that you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.